Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Stagwaddy game, I'm going first. Go on, get in I'm there. I'm going to give you five names, and you've got to tell me whether they were lesser-known members of the Cray Twins firm or members of the late unlamented genre of bands known as Oi. Okay? Oh, Oi wow. bands That's... or members of the Cray Twins firm. Very good. Are you ready? This is yeah. weirdly quite like mine, actually, but coincidentally. Oh, no, 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 we're going slightly. Yeah, go on. Oi or craze. Go on. Okay. Ronnie Bender. Ronnie Bender. Ronnie Bender's an oi. He got to be. Bender is a hilarious uh, Gary Bushman will love this sounds type name. He's got to be. Can't be a cray. He's an oi. No, he's Reggie Cray's driver. Ex-soldier, oh, no. <laughs> present at Jack Mavitti's murder, but took no part, but held dispose of the body in Rotherhithe. Okay. Very good. Ronnie Wooden. Ronnie Wooden. Ronnie Wooden. Oi, band or Cray, uh, Cray twin firm member. I can't even remember who the Oi bands were now. Was it Cockney Sparrow? Were they, were they, I oh, no, I'm not giving you any help. Yeah, yeah, oh, I'm saying he's oi. This guy's oi. Wooden is oi. Yeah, OK. He's a former member of the Angelic Upstart. The Upstart, okay. of course. Irish Rob. Irish Rob. He's a cray. Got to be a cray. No, he's bass player with the Exploited. Oh, Ly- fantastic. Limehouse Willie. Limehouse Willie. Well, because it's Limehouse, because it's Limehouse, you immediately think of the uh, where uh, all sorts of terrible things happened in warehouses and uh, what is now a Canary Wharf. It's got to be a cray. He is. He was a professional gambler, over six feet tall, and uh, scars on his cheek from a past brawl in a nightclub with Teddy Berry. Which is a doorman at the Kentucky during its heyday. Okay, Hoxton Tom McCourt. Hoxton Tom McCourt. Cray Twin alumni. That's a great name. That's got to be a Cray Twin. That's a great name. I can't see that as being a member of the Upstarts. Well, you'd be wrong because the former bassist and band leader of the Foreskins was Hockton Tom McCourt. Foreskins, of course. Okay. It's all coming back. Here we go. Lenny Hamilton. Lenny Hamilton. 
member of an oi band or member of the Cray Twins gang? Lenny. I would suggest that I've probably seen him in Gary Bushel's uh, finely chiseled prose. So I'm saying he's an oi band member. No, he's a jewel thief and safe breaker, well known character in the East yeah. End. Okay. Uh, is perhaps most regarded for being the man Ronnie Cray branded with her head off pokers in 1962. <laughs> Unforgettable. So, slightly more hazardous than being a member of an oi band. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Mickey Fitz. Mickey Fitz. Mickey Fitz. <coughs> Mickey Fitz sounds like a drummer to me. I think he's a drummer. No, you're wrong. So, he, he was a singer with a business. He died in 2016. Oh, okay. okay, I'll give you one more. Billy Exley. William Billy Exley. Was he a member of the Cray Twins gang or a member of an oi band? I'm saying he's a Cray. He was. He was a member of guess. the firm, works as a bomb, and that's, many a twins. That's really... <laughs> and the other Oi bands, uh, I mean, Oi bands, Cockney Rejects, Angelic Upstarts, Foreskins. Rejects. All that kind of thing. Cox Sparrow, yes, as you probably Cox Sparrow. You, you said earlier. Unlamented. Unlamented. I think so. I think so. I think they were just cobbled together by about one or two journalists, really. <laughs> one, actually. <I> think. <laughs> one, precisely. Anyway, That's very on. good, Dave. I like that. Look, this is quite similar to what I've got for you, weirdly. All right. Now, a lot of stat worries are about exotic names. And I thought I'd head in the opposite direction. Now, 1972 was the apex of kind of unvarnished meat and potatoes, guitar-based drums, no-frills, British rock. Okay. When band members, particularly those in the rhythm section, band members had <coughs> unglamorous, non-shaders, <coughs> prosaic names. Real names. Uh, real names. And they didn't feel the, the urge to, to change them to Wayne Fontana or whatever. These are archetypally regular geezers with a feet in the ground, pine a pine, okay? Now, we, this is precisely what... We do it. We're, we're heading history. towards members of man here, aren't we? Well, yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I can tell. <laughs> you can. We're going Terry Jones, are we? I can well, tell. No, 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 not far off. So this is precisely what the scriptwriters of Coronation Street were aiming for when they cooked up the most salt-of-the-earth characters, the ones kind of, again, lumbered with the most ordinary names imaginable. Oh, yeah. So I've looked up five solid and plodding rock acts who it's played so the It's so true. Sorry, can I introduce, interrupt well, you a second? If you were going to introduce character in, the, say, Coronation Street, who was going to be a plumber, you couldn't give him an exotic name, could you? No, you couldn't. You had to call him Fred Smith because that, that was a plumber's name, That's wasn't a it? name. It's also, on my contention, it's also a drummer's name in 1972. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go, go no, on. I think it's true. You know, anyway, so I looked at these. These are really a load of plodding bands. They all played the Marquee Club in 1972, right? I checked the names of their anchormen. Okay, are you prepared to play? Yeah, no frills, rock drummer, or Coronation Street cast member. Oh, is that That's what it is. Coronation Street cast member or rock drummer. Okay, Barry Pike. Now, Barry Pike, is he a standard-issue skinsman or is he a man nursing a scoop in the Rovers' return? Barry Pike. I'm going to give you a drummer. He is. He's the drummer of Fumble, whose singer was Des Henley. They're great names, don't you think? Okay, Harry Hewitt. Harry Hewitt. Harry Hewitt was a character in Coronation Street. He was oh, married no. to Conceptor Hewitt. You're right. Uh, You're I, think right. Was, I think he was a bus inspector. He was a anyway, bus driver. He I was well a bus driver. Of course, I've forgotten you know Coronation Street quite well, don't you? I, I lived Except it. Conceptor Riley, the barmaid at the Romans Return. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Billy Bent. Billy Bent. He's got to be a drummer. He could be a Cray member. <laughs> <laughs> We're actually, we overlapped here. He could be, we could be back is in Oi. He's Billy a drummer. Bent. 
Is, is a, a dependable tub thumper or a forelock tugging soap fixture? He's a dependable tub thumper. He is. Billy Sparkle Bent was the drummer of Stackridge. <laughs> His keyboard player was called Rod Bokit. Rod Bokit on keyboards. Okay. Jay, Jeff Jones, pint swilling timpanist or ITV scene filler? Jeff Jones. Drummer. Yep. Drummer of Glenn Cornick's Wild Turkey. Replaced by John Pugwash Weathers. There you go. All right. Dave Bonsall. Dave Bonsall. Dave Bonsall. Oh, my God. Rock journeyman or flat-capped thespian? Flat-capped thespian. Yeah, he was. (laughs) (laughs) Dave Bonsall is the administrator in charge of an adult education school. John Stape goes to Dave for an interview when he wants to return to teaching, it says here. Okay, Bob Waller. Towsel's timekeeper or bit part board treader? Bob Waller. Bit part board treader. Uh, Bob Waller, yeah. Well, actually, no, he was was the the drummer of Brewer's Droop, (laughs) along with Crun Walter on bass. Their names are brilliant. Crun Walter was the bass player, and Ron Watts on vocals. I saw Brewer's Droop. I I saw saw him many times. Did you? I saw them at the Reading Festival in 1970, I think it was. I always quite liked Brewer's Droop. Yeah, they had a a group called uh, The Group House Party, a song called Group House Party. About all the terrible things they got up to. Yeah, they were actually. He used to do Cajun tunes. He used to Didn't do Sugar Bee and things like that's that. That's right. Wasn't the wasn't the rumor that Mark Knopfler had once played? Oh, I don't know. It was Ron oh, Watts, wasn't it? Well, he went on to be. A, he was a promoter, wasn't he? I think. Oh right, yeah. Okay, two more. Sid Lambert, skid bashing hippie, skin bashing hippie, or man from Central Casting. Man from Central Casting. Yep. The mustachioed entrepreneur who serves the chairman of West uh, Weatherfield Athletic Football Club. Of course. To his role as the manager of Lambert Engineering. Weatherfield United Football Club. Weatherfield. Can we have a slight, a short digression on the subject of Weatherfield United? Which Coronation Street character, still in it, I believe, had a brother who ostensibly played for Weatherfield United? Oh, they exist? Weatherfield? Well, Weatherfield is a fictional, the, the fictional, the fictional yeah, city yeah. that yeah, Coronation yeah. Street is set in. So Ken Barlow's younger brother, David Barlow, in the early days of Coronation Street, and I remember the older days, the early days of Coronation Street, signed on, signed forms with Weatherfield United to be a footballer and then Incredible. got injured, I think. Anyway. Astonishing. Go this on. is extremely good knowledge. Well, that's, that's him. And the last one is Nick Gabb. Is he an unvarnished snare snapper? Is it unvarnished? Or a, or a low-level lovey? He's an unvarnished, unvarnished snare, snare snapper. Yeah, he is. He's, he's, he's the drummer of Walrus. On bass, Steve Hawthorne. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> How weirdly similar those stack waddies were, weren't they? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's what the stack uh, I'll tell you what else. Do you know what? Yesterday afternoon, you watched the Grand National... I did. And uh, you had a... My horse came third. You had a financial investment. Did you go for a place or do you have it on the nose? Unfortunately, I had it on the, on the nose. It was a oh, fantastic yeah. uh, horse called Any Second Now. Cruelly held up and boxed in by a falling horse at the 12th and uh, lost by eight and a half legs, which I, I think, I seriously think, by judging by the steaming last effort uh, to get into contention that could have won. But there we are. But it was good. But the great thing is Rachel Blackmore, the, the first... Uh, well, she's winning everything, one. isn't she? It's fantastic. Yeah, really, she's having an absolute run. I, uh, yeah, I suppose the key thing on uh, 
and the Grand, Grand National just don't fall off, isn't it? Don't <laughs> fall. I know. You look at it. I, I don't, don't know how many started. Was it 40? Like... Only 15 finished. You think, this is God. unbelievable. Yeah, terrible. Anyway, the sport that I watch, I watch the, the, the quarterfinals in the Heineken Cup rugby, All right. which were on BT Sport, and I had it on in the background. And so you get a load of games. And so these are European club games. So they involve clubs from England, you know, clubs from France, clubs from Ireland, all over. What preceded every one of them? Oh, I know. Two minutes silence. Yeah, two minutes silence. I know. For the Duke of Edinburgh. Now, all due respect to any you know, anybody who's died, and you know, all due respect to formality, that has no place in club rugby encounters on a European basis. You know what I mean? I couldn't agree more. Where I mean, most, is, is it... of, most of the players, apart from anything else, they come from all over the world. They're South Africans, yeah. they're New Zealanders, they're Argentines, they're yeah. Welsh, Scottish, Irish, whatever. It's just absolutely stupid. And, of course, this is taking place four times in a day. And this is not the BBC which might conceivably be rather worried about relationships with the establishment. This is bloody BT Sport. I know. What has got into the world of sport? I, I couldn't this agree This obsession with two-minute silences, knee drops, demonstrations of all kinds of attitudes. I'm bloody sick of it. Stop I, it. I, no, I couldn't agree. Well, I mean, in the National, all the, all the jockeys of the National were wearing a black armband. I mean, what, what is the point? Stupid. Because, I mean, it, and here's the point, Mark. You and I are old enough to remember in the 50s and 60s when people did play, when they did play the national anthem at the end of the cinema, every cinema film, you know, and when there were those kind of formalities, when everybody's dad had been in the services and, you know, and, and, and everybody stood up when a lady came in the room and all that kind of thing, none of this happened ever. No. It Never. did not exist. It has been invented in the last 10, 20 years by television. Well, by, by broadcasters terrified of looking, uh, looking like they could be accused of not caring enough. I mean, I don't know if you were watching on BBC uh, on Friday night, but it was really, really extraordinary. Gardner's World, big programme, of course, in our, in our household. And uh, the BBC One, as you know, had a rolling uh, uh, coverage of the... Well, Coverals. I don't know, because I didn't watch it. OK, well, BBC One did that. BBC Two... Uh, I had exactly the same uh, programming as BBC One, so they became the same thing. They simply cancelled BBC Two. So if you're escaping BBC One by going to BBC Two, you got the same programs. BBC Four had nothing at all apart from do go and watch BBC One. BBC Scotland, uh, all wall to wall Duke of Edinburgh, ITV, Channel Four, and Sky Arts, Duke of Edinburgh. Can you imagine? So there was meant to be a Master Chef final. You know, there was. I mean, these are quite important things. You know? I mean, what you actually got was Giles Brandreth, who I love enormously, either live or, or pre-recorded, yeah. on five channels simultaneously because he was the biographer of the Duke of Edinburgh. I mean, it's amazing. The net result was that, that Gogglebox on Channel 4, I think, later on, got a massive hike. He got something like four and a half million viewers because there was nothing else to watch, you know. And I just thought, this is, the world has gone crazy. It's gone, and it's going Absolutely crazier. It's mad. going crazier. You know, that... This um, is the Duke of Edinburgh. What's going to happen when the Queen dies? I mean, my God. Yeah, but also put that to one side. And, that you know, that's one particular issue. You know, if you follow the football over the last, you know, year, you know, and every match has been televised, you know, because they haven't, you know, they've all been individual. 
and uh, every one is preceded by some commentator intoning yeah. some message about racism. Yeah. Is it? What, did we not hear you the first time? You know what I mean? It, 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 it needs saying 50 times and before it's gone in. This is just patronising and ridiculous. I mean, it's got to bloody stop. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's, it's just insane. And I mean, it also goes along with the fact that you know, you see footballers coming out to play in the in the uh, 2021. What do you know about the overwhelming majority of them? Is I wouldn't mind guessing they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Okay, they didn't grow up going to the mosque or the church or the synagogue or whatever. What do all of them do nowadays when they score goals or whatever? They look towards they do. the sky. They do. They do yeah. Come on. I know. Who are you fooling? Yeah. Where have you learned this nonsense yeah. from? Sorry. It's, no, you're absolutely right. It, 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 you're required to appear, appear to be uh, it's just deeply spiritual and connected. I know it's ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous. But I find the whole thing... I, the, the death of royals... It's extraordinary, extraordinarily fascinating, I think. Oh, yeah, it's that, that protocol. You know, I can remember, I can remember, this is not a death of royalty, but I can remember broadcasting, just standing in for John Peel in 1982. And I was on Radio 1, and at that time in Egton House, you have uh, had Radio 2. They literally, Radio 2, Radio 3, Radio 4, yeah. down the corridor. And we were all told, the knock on the door, we were all told we had to go over to the news at exactly the same point. It was going to be 27 minutes past 10, where it was. And what had happened was the Falklands War. Oh, and it was actually really exciting. Yeah. <laughs> For a brief moment, we all knew something that was uh, that it was had happened in the world that no one else knew was about to discover. And it just reminded me of how how the whole of the BBC is ready to go, isn't it? You know, it's like it's like when uh, when Lady Di died unexpected. Well, now let me, they, they they had a, they had the routine plan. No, but let me the, let me tell you mother, about it. I know all about this. Because when I used to do I used to do a radio program at GLR, you know, for 10 years on a Sunday yeah. afternoon, largely. And GLR was just one of hundreds of outlets of the BBC. And in every studio, there used to be a black box, like this. Yeah. I'm going to get it. Black box, just like that, okay? And on the side of it, it used to say, uh, instructions for what to do in the case of a... Death of a Category did A it, royal. Did it contain a, 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 a it small black a, dress and a, a black tie and things no, like it, that? No, it had, it had loads of... It had uh, gramophone records of sober music and it had a piece of paper in it which basically gave you instructions. If you were the person on nights at, you know, at BBC Radio Leeds, you had to have the same instructions as whoever was running Radio 1 or whatever. And basically... They were terrified of anybody going rogue and and making an announcement that was you know, it was wrong or was too early or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because at that point, there had not been the death of a Category A royal since when? Um, so I'm talking about the early 90s. Well, presumably... Till the death of the last king, I suppose. Absolutely. So Would the previous, right? the previous death of Category A Royal was George the Sixth. Yeah, George the Sixth, which yeah. is 1952. Is it Two. whatever? 1952. Okay. So at which point the BBC had how many outlets? It barely had television. 
It had the light program, it had the home service, it had the third. And now so, you're on the... So it was relatively the... easy to control how they disseminated that kind of information. In the 90s, they got radio stations... Hundreds of the wazoo, radio stations, exactly. And, and all kinds of things could go wrong. So they were really terrified. Of course, what, what the, the, the death that they were anticipating was the death of Queen Mother. Of course, and they had the whole thing prepared, didn't they? This was, was how the state the, funeral was so, going to be. The state, well, they, they, they all say, sorry, it sounds like a real royal watcher, which I'm not particularly. No, no, but, I, but, but they always say you know, the, the recent Diana's funeral, which it was organized so uh, smoothly at such short notice, was it was the Queen Mother's funeral? They, they used the same format, didn't they? They just they, they had the gig, you know, yeah. they, they'd rehearsed it, they knew exactly what they were doing. But it was just a different. I uh, love all that. The, the BBC have uh, a thing called Mood Music Two and Mood Music One, don't they? Mood Music Two is sad music. Mood Music One is the saddest music. And I, I can't <laughs> quite find <laughs> out what it is. I think Mahler's Symphony Number no. Five is one. I think oh, Richard Strauss's Metamorphosen is another. They have these orchestral pieces that are, are to be to be to be deployed at moments of extreme sadness. And all those instructions would be in that black box. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's so... T- it's like when the, when the Queen dies, you know, the, the, her private secretary will contact the Prime Minister with the news. Upon the completion of that exchange, civil servants will use secure lines to declare uh, whatever the phrase is. They, people think it's London Bridge is down. Is the, is the, really- the expression of <laughs> when the Queen has died. I, I think it's fascinating. All that. When I was writing my book about um, the British invasion... And, um, you know, which which happened immediately in the wake of the death of Kennedy. Yeah. That uh, I was I was looking into, you know, what my memories of, you know, when Kennedy died was a Friday evening. Well, Friday evening here, it was (coughs) Friday lunchtime in 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 Dallas. And um, and so they broke into the British kind of tea time TV, as I kind of remember that there had been some incident involving the president of the United States. He didn't quite know what it was. And then half an hour later, you know, they, they announced that he was dead. Uh, BBC carried on broadcasting normally. And so they show, showed the Harry Worth show, I think, whatever. Oh my God. And the reason the BBC did yeah. this was that all the BBC big knobs were at some dinner in Park Lane that was kind of the British Royal well, Television. Well, they didn't know were uncontactable. They, they sort of didn't know it. about it, whereas ITV kind of did know. They were more on the case. And so ITV immediately switched over to a, a programme of solemn music. And I can remember switching the channel and seeing some guy in a tailcoat playing, you know... Thinking, well, at least Harry Worth's on. <laughs> And it, it wasn't until later in the evening that the BBC thought, oh, my God, what have we done now, know, you know, because... Looking, uh, looking, again, you could see why they could look like they didn't care, you know. Okay. So Duke of Edinburgh, Duke of Edinburgh's rock and roll credentials. Go on. Well, uh, the um, World Wildlife Fund album. Oh, yes. Uh, when was it, 1968, 69? Probably it's earlier. Called, it's called No One's Going to Change Our World. Which was, yes. And it, and it had, had the Beatles... The first track was Across the Universe on it. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, that record, uh, he was the patron of the World Wildlife Fund. And he he was. wrote the sleeve notes for that record. He did, didn't he? The, the Prince Philip wrote the sleeve notes to a record that had a Beatles track. And, and, let, and let's be fair, apart from the Beatles, he was far ahead of most people on, on that, on the, you know, saving the planet, saving the wildlife, all the things which are 
taught in schools nowadays was regarded as a bit cranky in the middle of the 1960s. When, I, would, you know, I would have to say, I suppose at this point, uh, as I'm sure someone might point it out, that there is a famous photograph, which you can Google, of him in 1961 standing by a dead tiger. <laughs> Had a tiger shoot. But anyway, moving on. (laughs) Apart from that, he took his eye off the ball for a minute. Apart from that, he was a major uh, conservationist and uh, evangelist for the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, no, across the universe. My God, I I think he'd have a limited patience for two minutes silence in front of um, rugby matches. I know, exactly. Especially in in his favour. Across the universe, virtually the only song in, um, in Ian McDonald's book um, revolution in the head that he that he really didn't like the first the only certainly the only Lennon song he didn't like. Oh, really? I was looking it up this morning because I thought he I thought he'd hated it and he did. He said it was the most he was the most shapeless song, babyish incantation, vague pretensions, listless melody, Disney strings, lullaby voices, boring and uh, uh, on account of its insipid lethargy. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, wow. amazing! Of course, Lennon that... loved it. Lennon was definitely trying to get just uh, trying trying to have it as a single. It was eventually uh, booted out and replaced by Lenny McDonald. But that's uh, interesting. I don't know. I always rather liked it, really. Yeah, I do. The Word Podcast: Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. Two questions. <clears throat> How old is Brooklyn Beckham? <laughs> I know okay. this. It's one of those. It's one of those. This. It's one of those. Brooklyn the policemen are getting you younger. Yeah, questions. Brooklyn Beckham is twenty-one. Twenty-two, I think. Actually. Oh, 20, oh, 20, oh Okay. Okay. Uh, whatever. It's getting on. Actually. Same question. Brooklyn Beckham has just had a tattoo done, hasn't he? What? What? I've just scribbled what down what it say? says. It's absolutely amazing. Anybody listening ought to Google this. He has the eyes of his future wife, his fiancée, tattooed on the back of his neck so that if you were standing behind him, it would look disconcertingly as though somebody was staring at you. I mean, it's very, very odd. And uh, the the message tattooed, I mean, this takes up about six or seven inches, is um, it says, uh, my forever boy, 
Um, read this anytime you feel anxious. It's on the back of his neck, by the way, so it'll be quite difficult. I want you to know how deeply loved you are. You have the kindest heart I've ever met, and I hope I never go a day without your love. I think you are so incredible. We can get through it all together if you breathe slow and trust. I love you beyond. Love always. Your future wifey. Now, that's pithy. That's edited. That's direct, isn't it? That's succinct. That's a powerfully, powerfully compressed phrase. Good God. I, had a, I, know, I, I know. had a different version of it. But anyway, but I thought what's interesting, what they both versions have in common is there's no doesn't specify anybody's name. It doesn't say, Wendy, love you always, does it? No, that's true. And so I'm suggesting hedging his bets. So, yes, yeah, so I'm what if it all falls apart and doesn't have to have it removed? I'm <laughs> yeah. the thing I always think about tattoos, which oh, you know, is, why would you do that? You might change your mind about that, you know, in two years' time. Or but being a member of the Beckham family is a, is a license to have any tattoo you want because neither of your parents are in a very strong position in regards to telling you not to, are they? Oh, dear, dear. I mean, Victoria dear. Beckham has a, a, a tattoo going down from her neck, doesn't it, halfway down her back, saying, I am my beloved and my beloved is me. Is that uh, right? right? Or is, oh, is mine? Oh, right? oh, oh, oh. It's an old Hebrew um, saying, I think. Oh, right. I know. Do you think it's still the case in the Beckham family that, uh, you know, the Beckham boys, you know, that they, they, they have girlfriends and so forth, and one of the major attractions for the girls is to get to meet their dad. Oh, absolutely. Because, he, I'm sorry, he's still the best looking of the lot, isn't he? Yeah, he is. How old is David Beckham? David Beckham, it must be what, 40, 45, 50? Must be 50. He still looks ace. He, he looks fantastic, does. doesn't he? Terrific. As yeah. long as he doesn't take his jacket off and you can see his tattoos. I know. So, Alex, where do you stand on tattoos? Tattoos in rock. Have you ever been tempted to succumb? I, I have indeed succumbed. Um, I got a I got a tat um, in Tennessee. A tat uh, in Tennessee. I got a matching tat with a girl called Taylor, uh, and it was done by uh, a guy called Doctor Pain. He was he was a big beardy <laughs> man with a with a holster gun, and uh, so I've got a, I've got a, a quaver note on my bicep, and she got one on a midriff. Um, you got a quaver note, and you're what, Alex? I'm, 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 Show us. Let's see it. Be a bicep. There it is. All right. <laughs> <laughs> on a tiny little sliver of arm, forearm. I'm yeah. convinced there's a bicep. Yeah. It's not like Popeye, is it, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember Popeye? Do you yeah. remember Popeye used and to you, use... Shirt, the T-shirt would split straight up the top. <laughs> Popeye, Popeye used to... I used to love that when he, he used to open the can of spinach. And you could see Generally. marching soldiers underneath the skin. Do you remember? Marching up and down... <laughs> You see that that's why that's why I've got a really small quaver note to make my arm look bigger. Oh uh, right. But we got there and um Dr. Payne goes, um, where where do you want your tattoos? Like looking us directly in the eye. And we sort of said, yeah, but bicep and midriff. And he and he looks, he doesn't look at it, he looks at me. He goes, Ah, they call it the sweet meat, the most painful part of the body. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um she went first. And uh, so I'm no one to talk, really, but any any more than it's that... Not, it's not exactly a huge one, is it? No, no, no. I, I don't really agree with the massive ones. I always it think it's a bit of a shame. I, I'm of the opinion that, you know, dressing like dressing your body in, in graffiti uh, to an excessive point is, is a bit of a shame. It kind of I, but where, where did the first... I can't remember now. 
who's who, if you look at people like Rob Zombie or Joe Arm, Billy Joe Armstrong or uh, the Motley Crue or whatever, these people are entirely held together with tattoos. When did that, apart from, I think Ozzy Osbourne was the first person, first rock and roll star that I noticed had a tattoo. He had Ozzy on his knuckles, I think, or his arm or something. Uh, and maybe Lemmy as well. But I mean, when you know, if you think of the bad boys of the 50s, Dave, uh, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, etc. none of those guys had to do. I'm no, not think. aware, certainly not aware that they did. No, no, I don't. Uh, think so. Gene Vincent and so forth. No. And uh, tattoos well, were, uh, we were kids, something that uh, there was the preserve of kind of sailors and uh, well, yeah, manual laborers. Gene, Gene Vincent may have had one because I think he was in the navy. Oh, so right. It tended to go along with being in the navy. Didn't yeah, it, it did. Of, yeah. Or, it did. Um, well, we were we recounted that story yesterday that James Taylor told recently about in 1969, he's living in London, and tattoos were so hard to get that when he and a girlfriend wanted to have a tattoo, they had to go all the way out to Camberley or Aldershot. They had Aldershot. The garrison town. Yeah, where they could the British it. Army. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't available in Notting Hill. Wasn't and they discovered they had a very strict rule that they wouldn't tattoo anybody who was drunk. Isn't that right? Yeah, something that? like that. Yeah, yeah. Or they wouldn't tattoo a woman without a husband's permission. A husband's permission. Yeah. <laughs> something extraordinary like that. They so had to have a husband to get tattooed. Whereas the, the Beatles never had tattoos, did they? Rolling Stones tattoos? Keith Not Richard, aware of right? it Has Keith Richard got his tattoos? I don't think he has. The Clash yeah. never had tattoos. You know, all, all those bands that you kind of mark yeah. out as, as being outside of the you know, outside of the mainstream yeah. way of living. None yeah. of them had tattoos. Um, and and then tattoos became sort of the mark of the rebel, didn't they? And then they became the mark of the sensitive soul around the time of emo. And now everybody's got one. And I Googled earlier um, that pop stars, pop stars having face tattoos, because face tattoos seem to be the new thing. And there are loads of them. Post Malone, who's one of the biggest. So this is what people with kind of tears dripping from their eyes and stuff. But like it doesn't that. even stop there. Some of them have just got you know scribblings all over their mug. You know, it's 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 quite excessive. Even remember, okay, so remember the Backstreet Boys. Yeah. yeah. Nick Carter's little brother, Aaron Carter, who had a yeah. single out when he was nine, right? Um, he now has a face covered in tats, and that seems to be the thing. You know, it's God Almighty, really, really what? Bizarre. Not not your standard spider's web. I mean, what what kind of things? Let's have a look. I've still got the picture queued up, actually. Um, because thinking of the families, as I always do in these cases, when I see people, when I see sort of lovely young people covered in tattoos, I, I can't help thinking, what does your, what does your what mother your mom think? think? What does your mother possibly Because your mum's thinking, you were perfect at once. Absolutely. Absolutely perfect. Unblemished, nothing to regret. I don't now look at you. And then, but when I move forward to the person with the face tattoos... I look at it from the other point of view of what does your first child think oh, yeah. when your first child looks up from the cot at mum and dad and they're, you know, they're covered in spiders webs. <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be, that's got to be classic. Ones. You remember in the eighties, I can remember this when we worked in Gun Smash Hits and Carnaby Street, you'd often see these real heavy looking characters going down Carnaby Street and they used to have a dotted line around their neck with a pair of scissors that used to say, cut, cut here. here. You remember that? <laughs> no. Oh, no. Oh, dear. That's very wrong. So Aaron Carter, nine-year-old singer of Crazy Little Party Girl, has now got right. love tattooed under his eye and a sort of a um, a, a tattoo sideburn that's oh. kind of loads of squirrely, kind of dragony things. It is, yeah, it's... it's and I would do you ever get that removed? If, that, if it all went wrong and you regret it? I suppose it. you could. Travis Barker, drummer from Blink-182, is absolutely festooned. His whole head's tattooed. He shaved his hair off. And has a tattoo in place of his hair. 
What's the oh, point? Hey, and also, that most of these people probably don't even have the excuse of being drunk at the time that they did it. I think it's the you know it, 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 they all tend to be tend to be quite rich and fancy themselves as slightly alternative. I think that's what it is. Oh, well. Oh, well. But it's addictive. There's a mate of mine who's a, who was a, a war correspondent, in fact, and he said he got one when he's out uh, covering the Croatian disturbances. Uh, with all the uh, various other war correspondents. And it, it becomes addictive. You start looking at parts of your body thinking, there's plenty of space there. Oh, I just fill it up. <laughs> what, did his, what did his original Balkan War tattoo say? Yeah, it was just a rose, actually. No, it was just all a rose. Right. All, all the people who were covering this particular event have got one, you know. And uh, which I can understand, it's quite a nice idea. Yeah, but can't they just get a t shirt like everybody else does? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. On tour. Mug. Yeah, you look at Lady Gaga, is a really good example. Lady Gaga's just absolutely every square inch of her is now covered with too. And there are things like you know, and there's such different things there. She has kind of Rilke quotes in German, and then she has little trumpets and unicorns and cartoon mice. She's got a huge heart with dad written in the middle of it. So it's a pretty wide variety of stuff. I tell you, it's got an interesting tattoo, actually. Alex Turner of the Arctic Monkeys has the words John Cooper Clark tattooed on his on his arm. That's interesting, isn't it? Obviously it a major hero, but uh, it's getting a bit far. It is, really. <laughs> have the damned got any tattoos? Well, they must have. They must have. Damned, still going, by the way. You know, original lineup. Are you were saying this? Go they're, on. They're, they're, well, they're, they're I mean, going I, on tour. They're going on tour uh, in next. I think next year. Yeah. I mean, they were going on tour this year, but the same lineup. Isn't that incredible? So remind. What are the chances? This is this is the damned are Captain Sensible, who was born. I, I know this. He was born in 1954. Rat Scabies, born in 55. Dave Vanian and Brian James, the bass player. Now, obviously, they've split up and got back together several times. But you know, they 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 have. Why, what other industry would four people who met when they were 19, 20 still be working together in? So in they the came, same unit. So they came, to, came together in what, 1975 or something? 76, like? I think it was, yeah. Okay. Well, they made no record came out in 76, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Um, they probably came together earlier than that. Um, so 75. <laughs> What's that? 45 years. 45 years. 46 years. It's incredible. It's an awful long time. Although, well, having said that, you and I met in 1977, and we're still working together. But I mean, I'm talking about a group that's four people. We did. We met in Salford University campus, oh, watching a group called Earthquake. We I know did. on the Berserkly label. So, who are, are the, the, who the other, other ones, groups? I mean, the other major ones: ZZ Top, who got together in 1969, and yeah, it's still the it. same three of them. So they're, they're they're still going. That's the same lineup. 52 years. Isn't that amazing? You two, I think, been going forty-five years. They formed in nineteen seventy-six. Uh, four, to, oh, well, Blind Boys of Alabama were going for. I mean, four of them well, were in that group for I think about sixty years. The last one, Clarence Fountain, joined when he was ten, and he was still in the group when he died uh, in two thousand eighteen. Seventy-nine years later, yeah, yeah, yeah. that is phenomenal. Isn't it? Seventy-nine years. And the Four Tops, we've been together. I think there's a line at the Four Tops we've been together for 47 years. I think and, right. and Golden Earring, sorry, Golden Earring. We've been together for 60 years. Or, well, two of them, anyway. Right. But the winners are are um, ZZ Top. I mean, that's phenomenal, really. 52 and and if you haven't already done it, done so, do go and watch <clears throat> our, uh, our chat with Lloyd Bradley, uh, which has just been posted this week 
on uh, on youtube.com um, slash word in your ear uh, where he talks about Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top taking him to his favorite restaurant. I won't spoil it. I know. And he, he's telling they're you. going top end. He dresses up, doesn't he? <laughs> he's got he's got the good lady wife with him, I think. He's got the, in their finery. It's a very funny story. The great Billy Gibbons is a, really good. Has got an interesting attitude to dining out. Yeah. Which you, you really ought to know about. Um so what's what was happening? 1971. I'm trying to think of a big event. 50 years. 50 years ago. 50 there were quite years. a few, weren't there? I'll tell you what happened 50 years ago this cool. week. Uh, David Bowie's Man Who Sold the World uh, yeah. came out in the UK. It had come out in the United States at the end of the previous year. Yeah. But it came out in the UK this, uh, 50 years ago this, this month with its cover of him um, reclining on a chaise long. In the dress. Wearing, wearing a, a, a gown. Yeah. One, uh, it was called, a, he, he very carefully called it a gown, not yeah. a dress. And uh, with a Veronica Lake hairdo and so forth. Yeah. And uh, this caused um, a lot of comment at the time. You know, it was, it was a pretty remarkable thing to do. But the really odd thing... The dress he'd worn in interviews, some of the interviews he did in America. Well, yeah, well, no, he, well, he, 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 he worn it. First of all, he revealed that, I think, of an interview with Michael Watts for... Um, for Melody Maker, yeah, uh, and uh, but he took it took it with him when he went to the states in February, and uh, but because uh, yeah, Mick Watts said to him, "What are you doing with a girl's dress?" He said, "It's not a girl's dress; it's a man's dress." It's absolutely. This is a great quote. It is, uh, but that album cover has the American cover is an illustration of a cowboy figure standing in front of a of an old Victorian building. Cane Hill Asylum, was that it, Victorian it? building is Cane Hill Asylum yeah. in Croydon, where Bowie's half brother Terry was subsequently to be hospitalized, and also Michael Caine's half brother. And it was also the place where Charlie Chaplin's mother oh, really? was placed wow. in an asylum for many, many years. But, but anyway, the UK cover was the gown. But the funny thing is, it's only just struck me yesterday that later that later, you know, so later that year, Hunky Dory came out, didn't really sell, but got re good reviews. Following year, Ziggy Stardust came out in June, it was a big hit. At which point, they they immediately repackaged Man Who Sold the World to make it look more like Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. And so, and that, so, and that's 1972. Yeah. So basically, three different artworks for this album within a period of less than two years. It's extraordinary, really. I know, and, and everybody then, tends to think of Bowie as being this kind of freewheeling soul, just kind of uh, <laughs> doing no, it spontaneously. No, 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 no. <laughs> no we've got to maximise sales. Can here. we sell a few more? Thank this. you very much. Yeah, we've got to do it like that. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's 50 years ago. 50 years ago, if it's a day. This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. So what we've been doing in the last week, we, we talked to uh, Bob Stanley and Tessin Norton about that their book, Excavate the Wonderful Frightening World of, of the Fall, which is pretty exceptional book. Really exceptional, really interesting books. Fantastic. It's a collection of... Well, essays, really, aren't they? Essays inspired by and about the, the outer limits of the, the fall experience. 
But oh, I, I, so I also good. like, I mean, obviously there's lots of, lots of pages of dense type, but there's also lots of pages of, of extraordinary yeah, pictures, ephemera, bits of paper, letters flyers, written to tickets, fans, whatever. Yeah, press is, releases written by Mark E. Smith. It's fantastic. Yeah, I became really interested in that conversation about the whole thing about football, the analogy between the the, the fall and football, the mm. idea that they didn't really have fans; they had supporters. People yeah. who went to every every match, as it were, every gig was like an away fixture, and there was a result. You know, most gigs you go to, you think, ah, oh, it's quite good, or it's okay. You know, whereas with with the fall, it's either an epic failure or a, or a monumental triumph. You know, there's a real result at the end of it. It's, it's funny, isn't it? The, the the use of the word fans. I often think about this with football. Do you describe yourself as a fan of a football club? I think fans totally wrong word because it suggests it you love them and you think they're brilliant. No, a supporter is what you are. You're a supporter. You're, you're, you're tethered to them through thick and thin, particularly through together. the thin. You know, you don't spend yeah. your time going, wow, they're wonderful. They're my no, you, you are programmed to go out and see them, and they're part of the rhythm of life. Yes, it's important part of the rich yeah. emotional fabric of life. Yeah, I thought yeah. that analogy extended so much to, you know, Marky Smith, like a, like a football manager scouring the lower league bands for new recruits for his lineups, you know, yeah, and the way yeah. he hired and fired people was so like a football manager. Really, really interesting, I think. And then we've been reading this, Richard Thompson, oh, Bees Wing. Uh, we're going to be talking to Richard in, you know, in a week or so about it, which I'm very much looking forward to. And it's absolutely fantastic. Of course, the, the additional interest for this, for me, is lots of it, because it's about his early his early years and playing with Fairport and, uh, and so forth, is lots of it set around where I live, you know, so you, you, can, uh, you can walk past... Well, the Fairport the Convention talks. House was quite near you, wasn't it? It's they it's in Muswell Hill, yeah. yeah. I drive, go past it all the time, yeah. Does um, it have a blue plaque on it? It doesn't have a blue plaque, but it has the, still has the so old... A knot of people in greatcoats sitting outside. It still has the, the old sign that, you know, calls it Fairport, which is where they got their name from. Which nobody's stolen? No. Uh, please, uh, and let's yes. not give anybody the idea of doing <laughs> it. You know, uh, yeah. So it, it it's still there, and it's great to see. Uh, we've also been looking at this. Uh, Ricky Lee Jones, the yeah. last chance, Texaco. Uh, we hope to be talking to her sometime in the next couple of weeks as well. So um, make sure that when the only way to make in sure you get all to... this stuff, you get it full in full, and you get it first, and you get it in pictures and so forth is uh, become a Patreon supporter, which you can do by going to patreon.com slash word in your ear and sign on. We've also talked to Ian McMillan on um, on Monday, aren't we? Yeah, so that'll be up Monday. fairly soon. Uh, the Gary yes. Kemp one's out, I think. Uh, which is yes, terrific. Gary Kemp's out very there. good reviews. Yeah, really, really very good. And... Uh, Yes, no, no danger of the uh, E. McMillan not being able to get up for nine thirty because he he's famously goes for a stroll out where he lives uh, in 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 the wilds of Yorkshire. Uh, he goes for a stroll about five oh, in the morning and tweets about it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. In in all weathers, <laughs> I think we should talk to him. Yeah, about we will this. do. Oh, uh, it's always nice to talk to E. McMillan, uh, and we've got you know people's birthdays coming up we continue to do those you know so patreon.com slash word in your ear i think we've got some new patreon supporters and we uh and we alex I, I think i've got them here we do oh you got them Excellent. I, yeah i think i've got them in front of me okay so i shall announce them this time this is a first for me Ooh. new patreon supporter peter sherman thank you peter Good man, peter welcome also, aboard 
and your patrons, Peter Jordan and Andrew Nemeth. Uh, nice to have you both aboard. Uh, and they've joined by Keith Tilson, Andrew E. Hesford. Andrew E. Hesford sounds like an author. Like Alfred E. Newman. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> yeah. Alan Williams, forgive me, sounds like a member of Man back in the day. We were talking about that. <laughs> Diamond File and also Rodney Semple. What a fine name. Well, you all sound like fine names. You're, you're all clearly right-thinking human beings. And it's, it's delightful to have you on board uh, as patron supporters. Anything else we should be talking about? Oh, yes. Uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future, we're doing a Smash Hits retrospective. Oh, we're doing a Smash Hits. Oh, we, are. We, we did, are. we We did one of those before. It's yeah, I hard. found a lovely uh, old copy of Smash Hits from 1981. It's the one with the poll winners' uh, annual results in it. It's so interesting because, of course, it's beyond Smash Hits. It's all about the other stuff going on that year. Is it? You know, so you got to Brideshead revisited, not the client, 9 o'clock news, Dallas. It's oh, all that kind of stuff. brilliant. So it's very 1981. It's really funny. Lovely old ads for so-on badges. And stuff and so the way this works is we go through this page by page via the miracle of uh, Crowdcast or Zoom or whatever technology we use, I can't remember, uh, and people can kind of be there, can't they, uh, in the room, as we like to say, yeah, as we and do join, it. Join in and join in and join in and Send comment comments and we can talk and, about it. And if they've got any bits of memorabilia of their own from around about that time, it's an ideal opportunity to share those. So when did details of that go up, Alex? Over the next couple of days, but it will be Patreon only. So all, right, okay. all patrons of all yeah. teams, but it will be Patreon only. Okay. We did one before. It was a great success. Really yeah. good fun. Yeah, so that's Very nostalgic. Up. All back to 81. Very that's coming, good. coming up in, in the next week. And so, uh, well, well, thanks for joining us. And uh, hope the weather smiles on you in the next few days. God bless you. Wow. See you next week. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.